What's going on, FA Nation? Welcome to the second-to-last NASCAR DFS podcast of the year. It's bittersweet, but it is always nice to get a little time off for the holidays, even though we it's a short three-month break. Um, I'm Dan. I'm joined by Matt, the FSWA two-time NASCAR writer of the year. Matt, it's Martinsville. This is always a special uh, weekend, whether it's regular season or playoffs. I mean, for DFS, it's one of my favorite. I had a very, very successful we get Martinsville earlier this year. Had a very nice uh, $1,800 return. Um, it's one of my favorites because there's so many strategies that you have to account for, whether it's dominator points, um, targeting PD, but also avoiding guys that you know fall a couple laps down. Apologies for the sound. Um, how excited are you this week? I know we're getting to the end of the season, but it's, it's always awesome to go to Martinsville. I love Martinsville. It's one of my um, favorite short tracks to watch just because you said it like not only for dfs but actually like the racing there is probably the best of any of the short tracks i feel like like bristol's kind of always like a wild card it's like the talladega daytona of short tracks yes the the high banking is fun or whatever but i feel like outside the top 10 the racing is a little you know whatever it's okay Richmond, the last few years, has not delivered very well. Like, the action track is just not delivered. It's no longer a two-lane track, whatnot. Martinsville, though, ironically, for the shortest and the narrowest and the flattest of the short tracks, actually produces, in my opinion, the better racing. Um, and it's just always fun. This is the second year in a row that it's the cutoff race before the championship. It's always been a playoff. The second Martinsville race has always been a playoff race, but this is the second year where it's a cutoff race, so that amps things up even more, especially since there's only one guy locked in. Now he's locked in twice, but there's only one guy locked in to the championship four. So, Do you know that Kyle Larson is the only driver across all three series that's locked into the championship race? Now, part of that is because the truck series, this they only have one race in the round of eight. But Xfinity, um, John Hunter Nemechek and Ty Gibbs, two non-playoff drivers, right. won the previous two Xfinity races. So as of right now, with 12 spots available across the three series, Kyle There's Larson is the only one. There's 11 people point in. <laughs> Kyle Larson is the only one that is locked in. And he's locked in twice. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I like Martinsville. Um by the way, those of you who are capable of going to Martinsville next year, Dale Earnhardt Jr. announced that he is driving the Xfinity race there next year, I think the spring one. Um, he will be driving that. He also test drove the next-gen car at Bowman Gray Stadium. Uh, and he said gave it a lot of praise. Yeah, he said it's basically the most fun cup car he's ever driven, which is saying something because that dude's been in the Cup Series since, like, 2000. Um so yeah, that's a pretty good that that's pretty high praise from a guy who knows what he's talking about. But yeah, that's um and and by the way, if you're going this weekend, load up on hot dogs because their hot dogs are fantastic. Yeah, and they just I don't know. You always hear about Martinsville and the hot dog stand, and it is going to be open this year. Um, I'd love to get to Martinsville, and, and it's also <clears throat> the only track that's been on the NASCAR schedule every single year that the sport has existed. All right, so let's talk Martinsville. Um, I, I'd be stunned if we had any first-time listeners or if you're trying to, like, dip your toe into NASCAR DFS. Um, hey, welcome. 
Uh, a lot of our regulars know about Martinsville, but break down Martinsville. It's a short track. It's also flat, but still, you know, you're not going to see top speeds or necessarily, but it still produces some exciting racing. Yeah. So it's colloquially known as the paperclip, because if you look at an aerial view, it looks like a paperclip. It's got very long straightaways, which sounds odd for a track that's less than a half mile. Uh, but the straightaways are, are comparatively long for that size of a track. And it's got very tight, narrow corners that are not completely flat. It does have technically 12 degrees of banking, but that's only the outside part of the corner that nobody ever drives on. Um, and there's actual curbs, by the way, on this track. Like, the, the corners actually have curbs, so you can't get inside on somebody, because if you go up the curb, you're going to completely rip off the front of your splitter. Um it's 500 laps, so there's a lot of laps led and dominator points that can be had here. Um, it is a very long and grueling race on the cars and the drivers. Um, a lot of things can go right, a lot of things can go wrong. In the spring race here, if I'm not mistaken, we saw some overheating issues, right? Mm -hmm. Didn't Austin Dillon get like a blister on a, a personal part of his... <laughs> I think he blistered his rear end, if I'm not mistaken. Um, also, that. may have suffered carbon monoxide poisoning because um, I think he had like the tire go out, and then the back of his car was leaking fumes into the. That's a new one for me. The driver compartment. Um, so it's a pretty grueling race for the drivers and the equipment. Um, anything goes wrong, the slightest damage kind of like ends the race for the for a driver. Yeah, um, it can. Um, aerodynamics don't necessarily matter quite as much in this track because it's, like we said, it's not a very high-speed track at all. Um, but any unforeseen issue, like an unscheduled green flag pit stop, you're going to be down like three laps pretty easily. Um, but it's also pretty easy to make laps up here. as yes, long as you're it is because there's cautions. Right. There are a fair amount of cautions. Um and you can move up through the field here. Just because it's a short track doesn't mean that you can't move up. We were talking before the pod that in the last five races, there's been an average of 5.4 drivers per race to post double-digit position differential. And not all of them are, like, big-name dudes in very good equipment. It was a mixed bag because we went through them before the pod. It would take too long to go through them on the pod. But some of them were, like, your backmarker cars that, that – have a very good day going and just start picking people off um i've actually so i've already so heads up i'm covering uh the cup playbook this weekend i've yeah. already started previewing it a little bit and one thing i did know is that um a lot of times i don't like to play back markers but given the amount of cautions that we tend to see at martinsville if we see a lot of the big name drivers not finish you know them not finishing it just naturally it bumps up the back markers so i'm not going to be punting too much but I've always expressed concern in the past about how at Martinsville and Bristol, it's easy for guys to fall multiple laps down. However, you could have a backmarker finish eight to 10 laps down, but you could be surprised that they'll still be in the top 30. And while it's not like great value, you know, positive different po positive PD is better than no PD at all. Um, but it is something that, you know, I'll, I'll touch on in the playbook in more depth um is there anything you wanted to touch on before we start um just breaking down the field yeah i mean just to highlight that a little bit just in the spring race this year right if we harken back to just this year 
And we talk about big-name guys that had issues. Eric Jones finished 30th. Michael McDowell, Daniel Suarez, Brad Keselowski, Alex Bowman, Ryan Priest, Corey LaJoy, Justin Haley, all finished between 30th and 37th. So big-name guys can have issues. What that meant was James Davison got 15 spots of PD. Josh Balicki got 10 spots of PD. Um, I mean, Eric Amarola had a bad start to the year, so he's starting 31st. But he still moved up to 20th and finished just off the lead lap. So you can move up just because you're not on the lead lap doesn't mean that you're not having a great day. I mean, to illustrate Dan's point even more, B.J. McLeod finished 29th in that race. He started 36th. He finished, He by the time the race ended, he had completed 478 laps. That means he was 22 laps off of the lead lap, and he still finished inside the top 30 and picked up seven spots of PDF. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not pretty, but even, <clears throat> right, not to toot my own horn or anything, but last week I had a solid Xfinity day at Kansas. Two of my guys, I forget one of them, but one of them was Garrett Smithley, who was heavily under-owned, and he was mostly a lap down the entire race. And a couple of cautions came out late, and he actually managed to finish 18th. He grabbed the top 20 just because certain chaotic things happen as the race progresses. So cautions can be good at Martinsville, especially for drivers that are multiple laps down. Just because it's this is a 500-lap race. If you mm-hmm. have a couple guys that are a lap or two down at lap 150, basically the end of the first stage, don't panic. It's not the end of the world um, because anything can happen in this race. Drivers up the front, playoff drivers will get more aggressive as the race goes on. If they wreck out, your guys that are in the back that are a couple laps down are just naturally going to gain spots, and then the drivers that wreck out are going to lose spots, and they're going to lose points. So I'm excited. Um, I This is probably the most NASCAR DFS I've played since the playoffs started. I have all my reservations in for the Cup Series. Um, Before we dive into that driver pool, I'll touch on truck and Xfinity briefly. Not so much the drivers, but the contests this week for truck and Xfinity are pretty bad. Um, Last week, the big GPP for the Xfinity Series was 10K to first. It was $10 per entry. This week, it's $8 per entry, but it's only 5K to first. The slingshot, I think, for the truck series is only uh, rewarding 750 to first. Last week it was 1,000. Um, so for me, I'm probably just doing the $3 three entry max, maybe the $12 single entry, but I'll still be playing the happy hour for truck and Xfinity uh, playbook. Uh, for each series this weekend, I'm gonna break down the eight remaining playoff drivers, and then I'll also dive into other drivers that we can consider for each series. It's gonna have a different look. Um, I don't like writing up a ton of drivers, but I do wanna touch on each of the playoff drivers in each series. Um, with that said, <clears throat> let's start previewing the cup race. Kyle Larson's 11,800. Now, there are plenty of dominator points available. With 500 laps, you have 350 dominator points, basically up for grabs. We're not gonna get a full 350 with all the cautions and everything. It'll probably be down to, if I had to guess, probably 320. Um, but Larson, 11,800, not the greatest track for him historically, but he's on the pole at a short track. What is your approach with him this week? There's been a lot of talk on Twitter about this this week. I don't I don't know who else pays attention to the other DFS touts out there for NASCAR. I certainly follow a vast majority of them. And there's some indecisiveness about if people are going to fade Larson, if people aren't going to fade Larson. Um, 
to be honest, at this price, you need him to get a pretty good chunk of those 350 dominator points, right? Because if he's on the pole and he's not going to win, you need, you know, a handful of laps led for every spot he goes backwards. Should so, we be throwing the conventional wisdom or the like the general nature of value just out the window? Only because, like... When, when we talk about road courses, we're like, don't worry about, like, guys hitting 5X value because there's not a lot of laps to be led. You know, it's really just about getting the guys that, like, finish with the best finishing position. And, sure, you want a few, like, dominator points. But Martinsville, it's like, you know, you're going to see incredibly high-scoring lineups, if, if especially in two dominator builds that nail the right dominators. Um, it, it's just going to lead to, like, just generally higher lineups, like, it wouldn't surprise me if a GPP winning lineup was close to 400 points. Yeah, I mean, in the spring race, to give you an example, there were three drivers on DraftKings over 70 points. Mm-hmm. Now, I doubt that you could have fit them all. I don't remember what their prices were, but it was Truex, Hamlin, and Blaney were all over 70, 74 points or above. And by the way, Hamlin had as many points as Truex and Blaney combined. He put up 145 points. He didn't even win. He just led 276 laps and had 81 fastest laps. Um, So, yes, it's possible to get monster scores here, especially if there are two Dominators, which we've seen um, in the last few races here. We've also seen some awesome one Dominators. (laughs) Yes, but, like, if we go back to... The spring race in 2020, we had, or what amounted to the first race in 2020, um, yeah, there were three drivers over 73 points, and two of those were over 100 in this race. So, again, I don't know if you could have gotten all of them. You probably could have gotten two, because Jimmy Johnson was dirt cheap at that point. Um but the other two were Truex and Logano, both at 108 or above. So you can see that there are massive point total. I mean, we've seen drivers put up 200-plus points here. To give you an idea, Truex, uh, when he led 464 laps and had 142 fastest laps, put up 227 points on DraftKings in that race. If you didn't have them, you weren't winning. That was <laughs> – it's impossible. Cold hard um, fact. We, we won't see that this week. I suspect that we'll see, like, a two-dominator build. So, for Larson, I don't know, man. That price is just... It's just steep. I don't know. Clearly, like, can we run out the motivation angle? Like, what's the motivation That's... angle for him to win out? Is that it forces everybody else to point their way in, Right. Yeah, and I've also heard some people on Twitter say that Kyle Larson isn't necessarily the kind of driver that wants to see another guy win and lock a spot in because he doesn't want anyone gaining um, momentum on him heading into Phoenix. That's, I guess, the motivation, like the counterpoint to the motivation. Um, But for the most part, like he's won the last three races. If I were him... You know, as much as as nice as it is, as it is to you know get yourself an eight foot grandfather clock, my attention would be on Phoenix. Yeah, I mean, you have but you the have other argument is that could go out and win the race, and I think like he would probably not throw the race, but he would 
probably help his teammate get in. Right. I mean, his teammate, Chase Elliott, still needs to get in to the championship. Now, as long as Chase Elliott finishes like 12th or better, I think is what he needs, he'll make it on points because he's plus 34. Um, so there's that, and Chase is starting second. But that price tag is just, I mean, I get it that there's a lot of points out there, but he's never been a guy to lead laps here per se, but he's never started on the pole. So we can't, it's, you know. Yeah. Like, what did he start in the spring? Like 21st and he got a top five? I think he started 19th, maybe. I mean, he still had PD and it is the best equipment he's ever been in. But at the same time, yeah. like, I mean, you need him to lead a ton of laps and not go too far backward. But, <clears throat> you know, if, if all these casual players on Twitter are going to be loading up and, and are just buying into the narrative and, you know, the Hendrick equipment and everything, I'm like, this is a good week to not necessarily fully fade Kyle Larson, but use it as leverage and be underweight on the field. Right, because if he doesn't lead laps and he doesn't, like, if he leads until the comp caution, which is probably, like, 30 laps in, and then he doesn't lead again and then he finishes fifth, he's not hitting anywhere close to what you paid for. He's just not. So, this might be a good a good week to go a little lighter on Larson. Plus, uh, there is a comp caution this week, right? Mm-hmm. What is it, probably... 40 laps in or so 30 to 40 somewhere in there i don't i yeah, haven't seen and i mean like but I'd imagine. if some guys make adjustments or some stay out or whatever like it's not a guarantee like he holds the lead right you know when they restart and, and also so, his teammate <clears throat> could beat him off the line to start the race true yeah i mean chase elliott's very good at martinsville very good i know we're we tend to go in in order of, of pricing but chase elliott's 10-1 starting second He's got four top fives here in the last five races, and he's led <clears throat> almost 60 laps a race and put up 53 and a half fastest laps a race. Yeah. I'd much rather pay for Chase Elliott starting second than Kyle Larson starting on the pole. All right. Now, we were talking before the podcast. You know, there are two drivers priced 11000 or above. Uh, Martin Truex Jr., William Byron, Kyle Larson. We've talked about Kyle Larson enough. Uh, how do you feel about Truex and Byron? Um it's a short track. This is Martinsville. Um, and it's been pretty know, good to Martin Truex the last few sure times. Sure has. Um, I mean, this we we talk all the time about how JGR runs really well in this package. And I don't know, man. Like, he's not my favorite JGR driver. We'll get to the other one shortly. But he's still a guy that could kind of fly under the radar, as odd as that is to say. With so many people talking of Kyle Larson. Yeah, so in the spring race, he won here, by the way. I'm pretty sure that's his last win, if I'm not mistaken. That's his last win this year. I can pull it up. If it's not, it's like his second to last win. I don't think he's won more than once after winning Martinsville. Uh, he started seventh, finished first, had 41 fastest laps, and only led 20. So it wasn't the most dominating performance, but he did get the win. He put up 74 DK points, 98 FanDuel points. He won Richmond. Oh, he did. He did yeah. win Richmond. <clears throat> yes. Um, but, yeah, I just feel like if we're going to pay 11-4 or above 11,000, I'm going to go with the guy that has multiple wins here, who has a history of leading a bunch of laps, who won here earlier this year, who actually needs to win to really solidify his standing into 
um, the championship, and who is relatively flying under the radar, despite the fact that it's Martinsville and Martin Truex. So I would go with Martin Truex, and I would forego the potential position differential for Byron starting 11th, having run pretty well here in the past in his own right. Um, I just think this is the week the little bit of mojo he's had recently runs out a little bit. Oh, he's been so fast. Like, he has 94 yeah. fastest laps in the last two races. Granted, um, there were mile-and-a-half races, and he led over 100 laps combined. I mean, he's been awesome of late, but I'm kind of with you. Um, Denny Hamlin is 10,700. I believe he led over 200 laps in the spring race. Hamlin uh, kind of had just a, a good regular season, but he's been great in the playoffs and he might be my favorite GPP driver, especially single entry driver to target. Um, I know a lot of people in GPPs, they may flock to those early dominator points. I have a lot of faith that Hamlin and his team can show up with the right setup yep. and go out, get a top five and lead over 100 laps. Yep. I'm with you. Nothing, okay. nothing more to add. I'd... Good stuff. Yep. Uh, Kyle Busch, 10,400, starting P7. He's also had a good history here. JGR equipment. I mean, if you're, if you're making a ton of lineups, you know, you're, you're mixing in all these JGR drivers. So I'm not really sure what else there is to say. Yeah. Now, the one thing we can touch on with Kyle Busch, and Truex is below the cut line right now, but Kyle Busch is one point above the cut line. He's mm-hmm. one point better than uh, our buddy Edward Rouse's Ryan Blaney. So he does need to have another solid day, but... All he has to do is beat Blaney by two spots on the track, and he should be fine, depending on whatever else happened. Now, if another guy below the cutoff, it doesn't matter how many points he is ahead of Blaney because he'll get bumped down, right? So let's say Truex wins or uh, Keselowski wins or Logano wins. It's not going to matter for Kyle Busch. He'll be out. But, yeah, he's starting seventh. He's got a good track history here. And in general, the 750 package has still been better for Kyle Busch than the 550. Um, it's just a matter of <clears throat> keep his frustration in line long enough to actually finish a race. Um, I'm glad you mentioned Blaney because I'm so glad that Ed is is not on the podcast because this is a guy that I think really does go overlooked. He's led 227 laps in his last three Martinsville races. Currently sits, as you mentioned, just a point outside the playoff picture. He's had He had a really good run here in the spring before finishing just outside the top 10. But he does get to the front. And is, haven't we, hasn't it been like a tale of two Penske so far? Like, you know, one of these guys runs really well in the 750 package. Well, you know, one of them runs really – or one or two of them run really well in the 550 package. Like, this is where Blaney can shine, correct? Uh, well, typically at the start of the year, it was flipped, right? He was the good one in the 550, and Logano was a good one in the 750. But it's kind of evened out now. Um, and here specifically, um, Blaney has been very good. He's been pretty unlucky because uh, he really should have, like, a win, at least at this point at Martinsville, given the way he's um, run here. He's either faded late in the past or had an unfortunate thing happen to him. Um, and he was running really well last week until Austin Dillon basically took him out, uh, <laughs> which was a very entertaining, uh, text conversation between myself and, uh, Ralph. But, 
Yeah, he's run well here. He needs to run well again to have a shot at making the championship uh, for sure. At 9,700, I'd take a shot on him all day long. Same with Joey Logano. Um, I know we touched on a lot of the playoff drivers. I think it was probably the right way to start the podcast. Is there anyone of these eight that you want to touch on a little bit more, or should we just go to the rest of the field? Uh, Kislowski, we haven't mentioned yet. He's been very good in playoff races at Martinsville. He hasn't finished outside the top five in any of them. Um, and again, he still wants to try to win a championship before he leaves. He's dominated a year before. And, yeah. yeah, he dominated. He was one of the guys that led more than 400-something laps um, here. He's been very good at Martinsville. It fits his driving style. Now, there's a little less PD here than we're used to seeing with him. He is starting sixth. But, again, he's starting sixth. There's a couple guys starting behind him. And people seem to be selling Kozlowski short. And I don't think this is the time of year that you want to sell Kozlowski short. So, and being the cheapest Penske driver, that's pretty intriguing, too. All right, let's go to the rest of the field. Um, One driver that I think should be more popular than they are. Um, and yet I still think we're going to get him at like maybe 12 to 15% ownership. Eric Almarola, $8,000 starting P23. We talk, we've, we've actually, we've tried to talk about short flat tracks. Um, every, and, and every time we talk about these, these, the style of track, like we try to mention Eric Almarola and it just doesn't seem like the field gets the memo. He's bring PD. Um, you know, he won New Hampshire earlier this year. Not a, not a great comparison by any means to um, Martinsville, but at the same time, he had a great run at Phoenix. Phoenix is also next week. So I feel like, you know, this is the week to really get your exposure to Almarola because he's probably, if he has a great day here this week, next week, when, when you start previewing and preparing for Phoenix, you know, ownership might be heavier, especially if he has, if he has a good week this week. I love the price. I love the starting spot. Um, he's a guy that if he can stay on the lead lap, I have faith that can probably go out and maybe steal a top 10 here. I love the value. Um, he's, he's probably my favorite mid range play. Agreed. Um, with you a hundred percent. He didn't have the greatest spring race here, although he did still move up 11 spots. He started 31st and finished 20th, right? In the fall race here last year, he started 20th, finished seventh. It's kind of what we're expecting him to do again yeah. this year. So, um, short flat tracks really work well for Almarola. I did a hit on NASCAR Sirius XM radio earlier this year talking about betting. This was after I had put Almarola as a long shot bet in the New Hampshire piece and he wound up winning it plus 8,000. They were like, what on earth made you try to call Eric Almarola winning at New Hampshire? Cause he does well at short flat tracks. This is a short flat track in the 750 package right up Almarola's. Um, wheelhouse. So yeah, in terms of the mid tier, certainly my favorite guy at 8,000 on both sides. Um, how do you feel about Christopher Bell earlier this year? He had a pretty good run here, but that was also like, that was also when he got off to such a good start. Yeah. But, Cause he won know, the second race of the year. <laughs> yeah. He won Daytona road. And then he had a, I think he had a top 10 run earlier at Martinsville, but then he kind of cooled off as we got to the summer, but he's coming in with momentum um, he got an eighth last week at uh, Kansas, finished third at Texas. Then he got an eighth, finished eighth at the Roval. So there's a little momentum here. And for a non-playoff driver, 
Um, that's 8,400 and only starting P12. I, I, I like him as a leverage play. Agreed. Agreed. He's got a good enough track history here that we can trust that he can move up some. Uh, we don't need him to move up a ton at this price because, like, a handful of spots will get him enough PD plus finish position to hit value uh, without him having to do much in the way of dominator points. Um, but he's also been pretty fast and can accrue some dominator points in terms of uh, fast laps and whatnot. So I like him not as much as Al- as Almarola, but he's certainly up there in the mid-tier for me. There's a couple of guys who are cheaper that um, – I like quite a bit too in um, Matt DiBenedetto starting 21st and yeah. Bubba Wallace starting 17th. No one's going to play Bubba at that nobody's, starting spot too. Nobody's playing Bubba at that starting spot, but here's the thing. He's moved up very, very, very well at this mm-hmm. track, and that was it. Arguably worse equipment. Like, Can we say that the 43 is worse equipment than the 23 right now? Easily. Based on- like, don't you think like the, 20, the 23XI equipment is probably – uh, it, it's, it's pretty close to JGR. JGR. Yeah, exactly. It's like JGR. a fifth. It's like a fifth <laughs> JGR car, basically. Um, and you know, Bubba Wallace doesn't have a top ten here yet, but he does have two finishes inside the top fifteen, and mainly because he's been starting further back than this, right? Like in the spring here, started twenty fifth, finished sixteenth. In the fall last year, um, he started thirty second finished 21st go back another one started 23rd finished 11th so you move him up a couple more spots he could be in the contention for a top 10 run and remember this was also like the huge he had a huge race here a couple years ago with the what the black lives matter paint scheme at martinsville i think and he was running inside the top 10 most of the race until he had some some weird thing happened late. So he's certainly going to be overlooked at 7,600 starting there because people are just going to want guys starting further back or dominators in front of them. So it's kind of a, um, a, a great spot for him. If we go a little bit farther down, we're seeing pretty big names. Ricky Stenhouse Jr., Ryan Newman, Eric Jones. Um, would you rank them – Maybe Newman, Stenhouse, Jones. I have zero faith in Jones here. I'm not the biggest fan of Eric Jones this week. Um, I know he's got some solid finishes here. He's got three top 20 finishes here. He's been kind of tailing off a little bit um, down the stretch. He is starting 28th, which does help him out, but... (sighs) I don't know. Can we try? I mean, Jesus. This is a tough one to trust anybody in this group. I might go Newman one. Potentially his last Martinsville race. Yeah, and then flip a coin between Stenhouse and Jones. Like, it's six and one half dozen the other for me. Um, Got a couple SHR cars uh, below 7K. Um, starting outside the top 20, Cole Custer and Chase Briscoe. Custer is 6,600, starting P24. His teammate Briscoe is 6,400, starting P22. Uh, we noted with Almarola how how well he runs on short, flat tracks. It's kind of been the same narrative across SHR overall. Do you have any faith in these two uh, with Custer and Briscoe? 
I have a lot more faith in Custer than Briscoe. Do you? Can you explain why? Well, A, Custer's got two more races at this track and has proven he's got two top 20s in that time frame and he's moved up pretty decently well. And then if we look at comparing the last 10 races at Martinsville and New Hampshire combined, it's not an ideal combo, but it's close. So six Martinsville races and four New Hampshire races. Custer's running five of those and has four top 20s in that span, moves up about four spots a race. Briscoe, on the other hand, only has two in that span, so it's not an apples to apples. But he's dropped backwards. Like, he's not <clears> been <throat> quite as consistent at this, um, you know, th- this style of racing just yet. Um, so I will take, there's only a $200 difference between them. Uh, on DK, there's 700 between them on FanDuel. Uh, so I will take the free two spots of PD for that 200 bucks and go with custom. Um, <clears throat> kind of dipping down into that, um, not necessarily back marker, but guys to be weary of. Um, we got Ryan Priest at 6,200, P26. Corey LaJoy, who could be the chalk of this low... 6k to the high 5k range he's six thousand dollars he's starting p29 he has shown the ability at times to move up here um do you trust him enough for cash as the value play in your lineup that's a tough <laughs> um it's hard to trust anybody in this price range enough for cash um I mean, probably he's going to be chalk, so you're probably going to have to eat the chalk with him, right? And he's shown that he can move up here or at least dodge enough cautions to move up. Um, another guy that's kind of intriguing is Chris Busher at under 6K. He's starting 15th. And you're kind of just three... hoping that he hangs around in the lead lap long enough where he can't really lose too much PD? He's got three top 15s here in the last five races. Okay. And he's got five top 15s in the last 10 between Martinsville and New Hampshire. So if he can just hang there, that's a solid value play too. And you're going to hate this, but I actually think you can go all the way to the bottom with BJ McLeod. Yeah, I mean, if you think about... From I mean, in a GPP, I'm not saying for cash. Yeah, no, Don't not cash. This I, I think that. But in a GPP to get one more dominator, I think McLeod is playable. I kind of agree with you, only because we talk about how this is kind of a race of endurance. And, you know, the, really the only thing I worry about with McLeod, and rightfully so, is probably the equipment. Like, if he can't finish the race, that yeah. it's not killing you because he's so cheap, but, I mean, he probably does cost you a couple PD points. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't hate that play for a GPP if you're, we don't really dumpster dive all too often for in the cup series, but yeah, I'm kind of with you. I, I could see it working out in a GPP. I mean, he's, he's not raced here often, right? He's only got two in the last five, but he's averaged nine spots of PD in that span. I mean, he started 38th and finished 27th, uh, in one of the races and was six laps off the lead lap. And then this spring, 
He raced here, started 36, finished 29th, and was still 22 laps off the lead lap. So <laughs> even if he's getting lapped, if he can just avoid the wrecks, kind of like Talladega and Daytona, McLeod can pick up several PD spots, and that's all you need him to do at that price point. That's all you really need him to do. So he's kind of intriguing. I mean, I know that we ordinarily tell you don't go below, like, six grand in the Cup Series because dumpster driving in the Cup almost never pays off. Yeah. This is not one of those weeks, though. You can actually find a couple of guys that could help you fill out a roster. Um. <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, like, I'm not even hating Timmy Hill at 5,100 starting P38. You know, he can only I just lose. wanted to note it. I was not the one that brought it up. <laughs> Timmy Hill? Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, <laughs> so coming into this race, you know, he gained 12 spots of PD at Kansas, gained seven at the Roval, um, go way back to the Brickyard. You know, he, he started 40th, finished 27th. I mean, he's cheap. You know, you're looking for – he probably does need to crack the top 30. But I think he flirted with a top 20 here uh, in a previous race at the Cup Series in Martinsville. Obviously, don't go super heavy, but it's, it's kind of like BJ McLeod. You know, you can sprinkle him in some GPPs. But, you know, he can move up. Um, he's going to finish multiple laps down. But starting P38, you know, he can't – he can – if he finishes 40th, yeah, like he's losing two spots. But really, like if he was starting in closer to the top 30, I wouldn't really have as much interest. But starting P38 at this price tag, and, you know, he, he, he he's no spring chicken. He can move up. Like it, yeah. if, By if the way, spoiler back. alert, he actually can't cost you PD because there's only 38 cars in the race. So he's starting dead last. Oh, yeah, my bad. I thought I, was, I thought nope, I it's four. a shorter field than normal. Okay, he can't go backwards. Right. That's so great. there is only 38. Normally, you'd be right. He Normally, there'd be 40, but there's only 38 this week. So he actually can't go backwards. So, you know, hey. Why not? But this is one of those tracks where if you want to get two dominators and the playoff guys are all priced up and they're all starting close to the front and are likely to be the dominators, you're going to need to go to Sketchy Town and go get guys under six grand to go fit another dominator in there. Especially if you're playing Larson. If you're playing Larson, you have to have a guy under six or you're not going to get any mid-tier dudes. Uh, anything else you wanted to touch on? I mean, I think we did pretty well as far as strategy and, and driver go, drivers go. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you can expect the full breakdown uh, for the cup race, and it'll be out Saturday night. Yeah, I'll have the track breakdown up. We're recording this Friday evening. The track breakdown is almost written. I'll have that up within the next hour or so. Um, and then I will also have the rankings and the projections up on probably friday morning and then dan is graciously taking his third playbook of the weekend uh because i have family in town and so i'm trying not to be locked into my computer all day saturday um so yeah and then um we'll figure out who has the four plays if he wants to take it or if i do either way um and then we'll have a special treat for you next week on the podcast be a three-man Three-man pod to finish this. Laney wins this race in Martinsville next week's oh race. Oh my god! Next week's It'll be a one-man pod next week if Laney wins this race because <laughs> neither one of us are going to get a word in because we will have Mr. Ed Rouse on the podcast next week uh, to Looking finish off. to it. Two races left in the year, so Matt, best of luck to you this week and best of luck to the FA Nation. Best of luck, FA Nation.